continuing in a series on Joseph. And uh, the title of today's message is uh, When Wrongly Convicted. And uh, you know my heart and my passion for prison ministry. Uh, so a lot of that will come out this morning. Um, and, and I pray that it will honor the Lord and that it will challenge us as well. In 1983, in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, a jewelry store was robbed. The owner was shot and killed. And there was a man that was seen in the area, and he had done yard work for the owner of that jewelry store who was killed. And this man was also a petty thief. Uh, his name was Glenn Ford, uh, not the actor. <laughs> Some of you may remember Glenn Ford. Uh, he was arrested and charged with the murder and robbery of the owner. Now, Glenn was uh, African-American. He was tried by an all-white jury. There was no physical evidence to link him to the crime. Uh, he was assigned uh, court-appointed attorneys because he could not afford an attorney. Neither one of them had ever defended a client in a criminal court. A testimony was withheld that may have exonerated him and implicated others. Yet, he was sentenced to death by electrocution. So he served 30 years on death row in Angola prison. Now, I chose this account out of hundreds that I could have chosen because of Angola prison, where you know, those of you that know me, I've spent a lot of time there in Louisiana. Uh, taking college students there to see really what God has done in that prison. And I've been to death row, the old one and the new one. They have a new one now. The, the laws have uh, changed, and so death row uh, uh, convicts have to be treated uh, better than they used to be treated. Uh, but in the old death row, where this man spent all of his time, the, the temperature down there in Louisiana in the summer, especially within there, would, would exceed 104 degrees almost all the time. Men are locked up in a, a five-by-seven cell, 23-7, not trying to generate sympathy for these men. They've done some horrible things, most of them. But I want us to understand this concept of being wrongly convicted. And they never know for sure when their exe execution date will come. That's our laws. Uh, there's stays after stay after stay. Uh, and one time, Glenn uh, came within a week. Uh, they gave him a date, and he came within a week of that day. But there was another court order that stated. The prosecuting attorney was a young, ambitious man. In his own words, hear his own words, he now says, I knew that a death row conviction would boost my career. He said, I was arrogant, narcissistic, caught up in the culture of winning, regardless of the truth. And then he said, I was a coward. He said, we went out and celebrated after the conviction and sentencing to death row. And then he said, I had drinks. Glenn was exonerated in 2014. So I know that I probably met this man when I was on death row in, in Angola. I don't remember him. But uh, if I hadn't met him, I for sure saw him. And when he's exonerated, they denied him the compensation that he was due because he, he knew about the robbery. They gave him a $20 gift card and wished him good luck. He said he bought a fried chicken dinner, french fries, and a nice tea. That's what I would have done, too, by the way. <laughs> and he got back $4 and some change out of that $20. Right after he, his release, he was diagnosed with cancer. And he died under hospice care due to complications from lung cancer on June 29th. 2015, had to raise money so that he could be buried. 
his prosecuting attorney says he doesn't think that he can be forgiven for this injustice. He says it feels, these are his words, he says it feels like a cold wind blows through my heart and my soul. You know, I want you to know, this is what I want us to understand today, that there have been hundreds of exonerations in our country. Thousands of cases are always being reviewed by nonprofit organizations in the United States. And my point is that even in this great country, and this is a great country with the best justice system in the world, I still believe that, there are still many wrongfully convicted people. But think about that. Multiply this by all the nations in the world <laughs> times all the people that have been wronged unfairly throughout history. And many of them God's people and even God's people today being unfairly treated and wrongly convicted throughout our world. And I want us to see and understand that injustice is common. It's common to mankind. And that brings us to today's account, to God's word. And so I know that was a, a long introduction, but I want you to stand with me and I want to read our scripture if you're able. It's a little bit longer scripture. But don't tune it out. Listen to the word of God because it is the word of God. We're starting in uh, Genesis chapter 39, and we're starting in verse 20. I wasn't here last week for the message, but I'm sure many of you were, and you know what happened with Joseph, uh, what didn't happen with Joseph, and he got convicted of. And so we pick this up in verse 20, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 40. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, the blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me, remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. 
when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Father, would you teach us from your word, and will you be glorified uh, through it? And may it point to your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. First thing I want us to see this morning, expect poor treatment from others. <laughs> Joseph was wrongly convicted. Think about it, though. The man, the very man, the same man who saw that the Lord was with Joseph, who saw that the Lord caused all that Joseph did with his hands to succeed, that was his owner, the man who favored Joseph, who promoted Joseph, who trusted Joseph, that same man threw him into the king's prison. You know, that's how the world is. It's really that way if you think about it. <laughs> you know, some people think that, uh, actually think that a prison might be an easy place to be in. Uh, and, you know, when I think about what it means maybe to be in the king's prison, I'm thinking, well, maybe that's like the federal penitentiary. And I've been to a federal penitentiary. Uh, and, and so uh, that's where the white-collar, well, the governors of Illinois, white-collar criminals go. Uh, and, and we think that they have it made there in a lot of ways. And there's some truth to that. But we know from the scripture that this was a serious, serious prison. Psalm 105, you don't need to turn there, but if you want to, you may. I think it's in uh, verses 16, 17, 18, somewhere in there. It tells about Joseph, and it says that his feet were hurt with fetters. And fetters are shackles. They're restraints. And it, it hurt him physically. And it says that his neck was put in a collar of iron. That's serious business. Uh, you've seen men that are shackled, uh, and it hurts, and they, they shuffle, they shuffle. And to have something around your neck, unimaginable in some ways. But you know what the literal translation of that, that uh, collar of iron, it says that, it literally says that his soul came into iron. And this is what I want you to grasp this morning. I believe that Joseph was like any other man that was put into prison, <laughs> only wrongfully, I believe that it was distressing, not only to his body, but to his soul. You have to think about this. You think about a young, strong man being restrained in every fashion, physically restrained, <laughs> uh, surrounded by dangerous people, uh, to be considered the lowest of the low, to be despised by people on the outside, that's what it means to be in prison. And it doesn't matter if you're wrongfully convicted, you're in that same status. <laughs> when I walk through the Illinois Youth Center every Thursday morning, prison for young men in St. Charles, it often, and even this week, it often brings tears to my eyes. As I walk through there, in a sense it's a beautiful grounds, a lot of old, broken-down buildings, but and I see all these young men, and, and I think about their souls and their bodies being restrained, and uh, the things that have 
caused them to be there, the sin, the captivity of sin and, and Satan, uh, all those souls in captivity. And I know these young men because I speak to them, and they ask the question, why me? You know, why me, Lord? Why did I grow up this way? Why did I end up this way? There's a phrase that I hear, especially in Angola prison, but in a lot of prisons, and it's ac actually there's a T-shirt that says, Angola ain't no place to be. Prison ain't no place to be. <laughs> and sometimes when you're a young man, you, you, you might think, oh, well, it's kind of cool. I went to jail. You know, all my buddies, are, you know. It's not cool at all. It ain't no place to be. <laughs> now, some of us in our own lives, we've had poor treatment. We've been treated unfairly. And it feels sometimes maybe like we're, we're trapped or in captivity. But this is what I want us to remember as God's people, the children of God, as followers of Jesus Christ. Hear this, because this is important. This is a description of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was despised and rejected by men. <laughs> and as one from whom men hide their faces, Isaiah 53. And Jesus taught very clearly that you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Unfair treatment, wrongfully convicted. <laughs> you know, the world may like you for a while, and they do. You know, we're to live in the world. Uh, we want the respect of other people as Christians, but we're not promised that by any means. The world may like you for a while, but there's a coming time, and I believe it's coming soon, when standing for the Lord Jesus Christ will mean poor treatment possibly even here in these United States. It could perhaps mean imprisonment for Christians if you stand firmly for the Lord, or even death. God's word says, do not be surprised by these things. Do not be surprised. So we should not be shocked by being wrongfully convicted or unfair treatment. You know, the first, right after Genesis, when you go into Exodus, there's a verse that says, then along came a king, a pharaoh, who had never heard of Joseph. <laughs> and he exploited God's people. I think about our country. Could there be a time when people will no longer hear about the Lord Jesus and Christians will be exploited? That's the hard, hard news, but here's some of the the great news. Enjoy the presence of the triune God. <laughs> Joseph thrown into prison. And if you look at the scripture, it says, but the Lord. You know, two of my favorite words in the Bible are, but God. <laughs> You're going along, and then all of a sudden, but God, but God. And here it says, but the Lord was with him. We were singing about the presence of the Lord this morning. Thank you for those choices. And it says he showed him steadfast love. And three times in that passage, uh, and I'm not there, but if you look at, at those last uh, verses in chapter 39, three times it says that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made him succeed. Three times the triune God was spoken of being with him. And this is what I know for sure. I know that within the darkest dungeons and pits of prisons, that God is with his own people. I know that for sure. I've seen the powerful manifestations of the triune God when I've been in a prison. I've heard an inmate pastor preached and felt the presence of God so that I could not stop the tears from running down my face in the presence of the Lord through the preaching of a man of God in a prison, a lifer. I've met Jesus in prisons. I've seen the moving of the Holy Spirit there. Brothers and sisters, in light of our own struggle 
in light of unfair treatment, circumstances that never seem to work out for us, <laughs> a feeling of being imprisoned. We have these words, these precious words from the word of God. I want you to hear them very clearly. Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? Man, there was a period of time in my daily journal where every day I wrote down presence of God at the top because I want the presence of God in my life. Even this morning, even this day, I've prayed for that. I want to know the presence of God. <laughs> where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? The great I am has told us I will never, 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 and it is a triple negative, I will never, never, never leave you and I will never, never, never forsake you from Hebrews chapter 13. <laughs> There's a verse in Isaiah 57. Thus says the one, capital O, the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. God says, I dwell in the high and holy place. And also, <laughs> this is another but God statement, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. The holy high God tells us that his presence reaches to the depths of the pits, the prisons of our life, the challenges, the unfairness of our life. <laughs> I love that. You know what? We need, we need a Holy Spirit revival. We do. We need a Holy Spirit revival in our own hearts. It starts with one person. That's what we need. Our country needs that. We need that. I need that. <laughs> Open our eyes, God, to see you, to feel your presence. Lord, be our comforter. Be our friend. Be our father, as you promised. Be our guide. There's a song, an old song that was been going through my head over and over again. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. I love that song. It's going over and over my head because, Lord, I need that. And even in the presence of the Lord, this still ain't no place to be. <laughs> Understand that? The next point, execute in the place where God has you. Execute your God-given tasks responsibly. You know, Joseph, he could have wallowed in self-pity. Strong young man, restrained. I think about him. I think about what it must have been like. He could have withdrawn, totally withdrawn. Man, I am not going to participate. I'm not doing anything. This is unfair. Why, Lord? Why, why am I here? And I think sometimes we want to put Joseph on a pedestal because he was a great man of faith and a great man of God and obedient. But I know he had these kind of struggles. <laughs> you don't go to a prison and not have those kind of struggles. <laughs> so uh, he could have drowned in bitterness. If this is the way it's going to be, I'm done. I'm through. Instead... He allowed God, <laughs> I believe that's how it started, he allowed God to use him where God had placed him. That's a principle for our lives, brothers and sisters. <laughs> Every time I go to a prison almost, I ask men, why do you think God allowed you to come to prison? Even these young men that ages 13 to 18, I ask them. They come up with a lot of good answers, too, and I won't go into all that, but God allows these things, but sometimes <laughs> we have to allow God to work through us, and I believe that's what Joseph did. <laughs> he worked hard. He was responsible, it says in the scripture, and it says that God gave him favor with the warden. <laughs> I don't think the favor came just, you know, oh, there's Joseph. Oh, he's a nice guy. I think that he was already being responsible and already 
uh, doing whatever he was told to do and doing it with uh, a good attitude. And that's how, in prison, people rise up. And they become what we call a trustee. <laughs> uh, so he was put in charge. Uh, he was allowed responsibility over other prisoners. And by the way, that never happens in most prisons that another prisoner would have responsibility over other prisoners. That's a, a rule that they don't break. Uh, it's funny, it's broken at Angola because of the Spirit of God. But that doesn't usually happen, and I don't think it usually happened in the prison that Joseph was in. But God gave him favor with the warden. And you know those same terms are used today. When I walk through prisons, I hear people say, oh man, I've got favor with the warden. Uh, I hope I get favor with the parole board. I, you know, that, that same term. I want favor, you know, and, and I get that. And the word trustee, I mean, everybody wants to be a trustee. At the prison in Angola, uh, Louisiana, it takes 10 years to become a trustee. And then there's different levels of being a trustee. <laughs> but Joseph, he earned trustee status because the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success. The place that Joseph was in, the place that you and I may be in, and I want you to think about that. Do you feel that you're in a hard place, in a difficult place? Is there something that makes you feel trapped or there's something unfair? <laughs> uh, that this ain't no place to be. This isn't where I want to be, Lord. <laughs> Yet, understand that God in those places gives us responsibility. He does. You're in a hard place, yet God gives you responsibilities for a good reason. You know, he's given us children, he's given us jobs, he's given us spouses and ministries, and on and on and on. We have responsibilities. And Joseph chose to allow God to use him in those responsibilities. Psalm 90, the psalmist in Psalm 90 says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. <laughs> the Apostle Paul says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, even in the hard places. We've got a choice to make in our lives when we're in a place we don't want to be. We can choose bitterness, or we can choose busyness for the Lord. Let's be busy for the Lord. <laughs> and you know what, though? Joseph took it to another level. Not only did he execute in that place and do responsible, but he exercised with pleasure the God-given talents and gifts that he had. <laughs> so God brings those two officers of the court, the king's court, two politicians, if you will, <laughs> the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, he brings them to prison for offending the king. I've always wondered what they did. <laughs> How did they offend the king? But whatever it was, the king was not happy. He put them in prison. But you know what? They're given a, it says he put them in the, the, the house of, of the guards, the guard's house. So they're given a little bit of a status, which is hard to understand, a, a higher status and a better location. And, and then Joseph is appointed to be their attendant. So I believe that Joseph is actually at some point lifted out of maybe the pit and into a, a house where he's supposed to attend to the needs of these two officers of the king's court. Down at Angola prison, uh, every trustee is working for a goal, first to, to get out of prison. But every trustee down there has this goal. There's two places that you want to go if you're a trustee. If you're really the best trustee down in, in that prison, they're going to send you to one of two places, what they call the state police barracks, where they train state police. And they'll send a trustee there, and he meets the needs, maybe a cook, uh, cleaning, of all those uh, state police trainees, and they say that's a great place to be, and people notice you, and you're hoping that you're going to get favor by being there. But the primo place to go to is the governor's mansion. 
if you're really good trustee, they send you to the governor's mansion and only one at a time. And, oh, and they stay there usually for quite a while. And you cook, you take care of the children uh, of the governor, you, you become like a personal attendant. Funny thing is, really not funny, I've talked to a lot of men that have come back from the governor's mansion, it was still a prison. <laughs> they were still, in fact, they felt more like a slave there than they did in prison. And I think, here's Joseph. Think about Joseph. <laughs> he, he, here he is. He's, he, you know, we forget that he's a Hebrew, and he's with all these Egyptians. Egyptians had no use for Hebrews. They were all a bunch of goat herders as far as they were concerned. Farmers. They had no use for them. And here's Joseph, and Joseph, a man of God, a great man of God, <laughs> and uh, here he is. He's got no real status. He's still a slave. I think, again, he could have thought, you know, what? Am I going to be a personal slave to these two heathen Egyptians who don't even like me? You know, we think, oh, man, he's in a great place, and Joseph has got it made. He's got God's favor. I don't think it was that way. I really don't. But, you know, it still ain't no place to be. You know, what are you doing, Lord? Instead, this is what he says about him. doesn't use the word sensitive, but he was sensitive to their needs. It says he noticed that they were troubled. Can you imagine that, wives? A man that's sensitive to needs? <laughs> Just saying it. <laughs> so... Uh, he noticed their moods. And you know what? He could have refused to use his gift of interpretation. He knew that he had this gift of interpretation that God had given him because of his own dreams. <laughs> he could very easily have said, oh, no, I'm not going there. I'm not, I'm not going to help you. You got dreams, that's your problem. You know, but that's not what happened at all. <laughs> he, he found out that they had dreams, and he... he with pleasure, I believe, and willingly said, hey, tell me your dreams. Maybe I can help because God is the one who interprets dreams. <laughs> so he gladly did that. Gifts. He had a great gift. He had a lot of gifts. Some of the most gifted men that I've ever met are in prison. I told you about a preacher. I've heard so many good preachers in prison that are prisoners. The gift of teaching, music, phenomenal music in some of the prisons. Writing skills. Uh, the Angolite is a, a, a national magazine that's published out of Angola prison, and some of the writing in there is just unbelievable. Craftsmanship. Uh, every Sunday in October, they have a rodeo down at Angola Prison. It's going on right now. Two of my friends called me from there today. And uh, the craftsmanship, people buy furniture. These men make unbelievable things. Some of the stuff they sell is in the homes of actors in Hollywood. And there's some of these men that are actually wealthy on paper because of their craftsmanship. <laughs> Gifted men, uh, work skills, athletics, acting. And you know, a lot of these men that I know do this for the glory of God and for the benefit of others. Uh, one of the wealthiest ones there, <laughs> he makes so much money selling these things. He's got a piece in the White House. He's got one at Wheaton College where I used to work. He gives money to missionaries, almost all of his money. <laughs> He's a man of God. And, and here's my point. These people have chosen to use the gifts and the talents that God has given them for his glory even though they're in a place that ain't no place to be. I understand that most of these men are guilty, so they're not wrongfully convicted, but yet they've made a good choice for God's glory and the benefit of others. Joseph and these others have taken their gift and talent, even in a miserable place, have glorified God, the Lord. Now, Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, 
let's stop there just for a moment, just for a moment. A lot of Christians I meet think, well, I don't really have a gift. You know, that's not what God's word says. He says if you're a child of the king, if you're born again, God's given you some gifts. And those gifts uh, he wants to use. It's, it can be serving, it can be teaching. And you know what? It's, it talks about manifold gifts. And I love that picture. The gifts that God gives are so varied. And every gift is, is filtered through the personality of each person. So God has given all of you in this room, and I love to tell this to the young men at the Illinois Youth Center, that you're created in God's image, and he's given you marvelous gifts, each one of you, marvelous talents that can be used for his glory and for the benefit of others. <laughs> as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's manifold grace. <laughs> you might say bloom where you're planted, right? <laughs> Next thing, enhance your prospects, planting seeds by treating people well. <laughs> you know, some people struggle with this, with, with what Joseph said to the cupbearer. And this is what he said to the cupbearer after his favorable interpretation. He said, only remember me. Remember me. I'm thinking he's saying it with passion. <laughs> Got to remember where he's at. Hey, remember me. You know, when it's well with you, when you're out there back in your regular job, please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Get me out of this place. It ain't no place to be. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews and here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Still talking about a pit. There are a lot of prisons that are pits. You know, Joseph was a great man, a man of great faith. He's in the hall of faith in the book of Hebrews. But like every other prisoner that I've known and met, he had the hope of being released. You know, that's true. He, he wanted to go home. I think he was homesick. You know, he's, he ended up staying in Egypt. We know the story. But I think he missed his father. I think he even missed those scoundrel brothers of him that threw him in the pit the first place. Because I think he missed home. I've never met a prisoner that didn't miss home, that didn't want to leave. And so he begs, in a sense, the cupbearer, remember me, don't forget me. But you know what? He planted a seed when he said that. He planted a seed with his, his kind words, or his words and his kind treatment. He treated the man kindly. And he planted it in hope of being released. Just a was in Angola prison once with all these Wheaton College students were in a service. They had invited a famous country and western singer there. I won't say his name. But he decided he was going to take the song Sweet Home Alabama. And he wasn't from that group, by the way. He thought he'd take that song and change it to Sweet Home Angola. And he started singing that. And it was like a wall. I mean, it was like ice in there. I mean, it had been a really powerful service of praising the Lord. But as soon as that man had the audacity to start calling that prison sweet and their home, you could have you cut the atmosphere with a knife. It, I've never seen anything like that. Every prisoner I know has hope of leaving that place that ain't no place to be. Joseph was expecting a change in his life by faith and with hope. Some of you, I think, would like a change in your life. You may not be in a prison like this. Well, I'm, in fact, you're not. You're here. Although, that's, I hope this doesn't feel like prison today. <laughs> so, uh, that's a good word for us, though, a real good word for us when we're in a hard place. Paul says to Timothy, 
the Lord's servants must be kind to everyone and patient with difficult people. <laughs> even in prison, even in a hard place, even with that boss. How many of you got a hard boss in your life? Come on, somebody? Oh, there's a boss sitting here. If you work for him, don't raise your hand, okay? <laughs> I've had some hard bosses. Man, it's, it's difficult. It says, the Lord's servants must be kind to everyone and patient with difficult people. Peter says, and this gets even tougher, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Ooh. I was thinking about Joseph. I wonder what he was thinking about Pharaoh and the system that had put him wrongly into that pit. I wonder if he was able to honor that man. I actually think he did. I believe that he did, because that's the type of man that Joseph was. He was an honorable man. I'm thinking about our country. <laughs> it says emperor. It, you could put king. You could put president in there. Honor. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Actually, it says honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. In the New Testament. That's not Old Testament. It must have been hard for Joseph, but he did it. I know it's difficult for prisoners. I talk to prisoners, and their biggest struggle is uh, correctional officers, wardens, attorneys, <laughs> people with authority. Uh, but those men, some of them, a lot of them that I know, have learned to even honor those people, and that's amazing. That's the power of God. So... And we Christians who are living in this country, we have to think about that. What does it mean to honor the president? Some of you have struggled with that. Some of us have struggled with that. And yet we're told by Paul when he speaks to Timothy that we're to pray for those people that are in high places. I love it when he says, I want every man to lift up his hands and pray. <laughs> and, you know, people want to say, well, that means everybody. Well, it means everybody, but it says men. You know, men, you need to be the prayer leaders in your family and in this church and in wherever you go. Lift up holy hands and pray. Pray for those who are in authority. That's our responsibility as we face this new election. Ooh. Whatever happens, we may not like, but we as Christians are to honor and pray. Now, there comes a point, I understand, when you can't honor. I get that. I don't think we're there yet. I think we are in the praying place. Let's pray for those that mistreat us. It's God's command. Treating others well could lead to a better place in your life. That's what Joseph had hoped for. Final point. Exaltation will come by pre preparing to tarry where God has placed you. There's a command in the military. Uh, you know, as a, as a veteran, I love military thoughts. Uh, when you're marching in the military, you know, you're marching along, left, right, left, right, and then it says, mark time, march. So when you mark time, you just keep marching like this, but you're not going anywhere. That's what mark time marches, and then they tell you to kick off again. <laughs> That's what it means to tarry. You're still marching, but you're not going anywhere at all. Huh? Uh, I think that's how Joseph felt. Here he is in this place. And he had trusted God. He had obeyed God. He'd done God's work. He'd planted seeds. He expected a change because he's a man of faith. And here's what the word of God says. That yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. So how did Joseph respond? How did he prepare to tarry? How did he march in place like that? Here's three things. He did not grow bitter. I believe that. He lived life 
above reproach. I want you to get these three things. He didn't grow bitter because of the place that he was in. He lived a holy life, a life above reproach. And he continued to serve others in a place that ain't no place to be. Now we know from scripture that Joseph actually will reach a place of exaltation in, in the land of Egypt in his lifetime. But I want to remind us as Christians, followers of Christ, that the writer of Hebrews says that some of these people that followed God were tortured. They refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. We could be there in, in our country. Think about that. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. That's Hebrews 11, talking about followers of God. Yet I don't believe these people were bitter. These are saints. <laughs> they lived holy lives and they continue to serve others. That's what we've got to do in the hard places that we're in in this life. And the question, and, and I give credit to Pam for this question, and we had a conversation Wednesday night. The question was, are we prepared to do that? Are we prepared to tarry, to march in place, to live above reproach, to uh, serve other people. <laughs> Are we prepared for that, to not be bitter? And how do we prepare for that? Here's the truth. Where is the exaltation in that? Where is it? Is there an exaltation in just tearing and marching in place? You know, God gets the exaltation. That's where the exaltation is. God gets the glory. He really does. In our hard lives. Yeah, Joseph, he gets some exaltation in his life. But not every Christian gets that. Look around you. Look at yourself. <laughs> but think about this those of us that have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us, coming sin, carrying our sin, we place faith in what he did for us in his resurrection over death and sin. We're the children of the king. And we're told that we're blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places available to us now. <laughs> so when we think about exaltation in our lives, think about being a child of the king. What does it mean to have all those spiritual blessings, these heavenly places? Forgiveness from sin. Being placed in the, the family of, of God. Being justified by the blood of Jesus Christ given gifts that we can use. Uh, that's amazing what we have available to us now. So in one sense, we may not be exalted in this life, yet in another sense, when we're a child of the king, <laughs> we're in an amazing, amazing place by being a child of the king. And then think about it. When we enter heaven, we will be in a place of exaltation we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> to think about that. Praise the Lord. So we're winding this down now. Here's a, here's a, a, a verse from Isaiah chapter 30. Last verse I'm going to read. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Did you hear that? The Lord waits to be gracious to you. Isaiah 30, 18. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself. Somehow in our waiting, he's exalted. 
He, he, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. When that mercy finally comes, God gets the glory. He's exalted. And then it says, for the Lord is a God of justice. Yes, Joseph was wrongfully convicted. Yes, many of us are unfairly treated or we think we're in a bad place. But God is a God of justice. He will make things right. That's his business. <laughs> For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Wow, waiting's hard. Kath, isn't waiting hard? Oh, my goodness, waiting is hard. Waiting is hard business. But the Lord tells us, blessed are those who mark time, march. <laughs> Feels like you're not going anywhere, but you're still marching. Blessed are those who wait for the Lord. So, summary, expect difficult and unfair treatment as a Christian. But enjoy <laughs> the presence of the triune God. <laughs> Talk about blessings being in God's family, the presence of the Lord. Execute responsibly what God has given you to do when you're in that hard place. Do what he told you to do like Joseph did. Exercise your gifts and talents with joy, with pleasure. I believe that's what Joseph did. Yeah, I'll interpret your dream. God's given me the gift of interpretation. He interpreted the dreams of these people that probably couldn't even stand him. But he did it with joy and he did it well. And then enhance your prospect by treating people well. That sounds self-serving, but that's what God's word says is to treat others well. Like you'd like to be treated. Even those who unfairly use you. And then finally, wait on the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord for exaltation comes through the Lord, and he gets the glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this story of, not a story, Lord, true count of Joseph. I thank you for his life. Thank you for the example that he has given to us. But most of all, God, we know that you deserve the glory. Even Joseph struggled. Father, for those of us that feel trapped or in a hard place or unfairly treated, help us to do what we've been taught this morning so that you can be glorified. Thank you most of all for what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.